0: We talk about having a spiritual awakening. My spirit was almost dead when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, and it actually was very, very dim even in my early years of sobriety. I kind of think sometimes it's like by the time I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, my whole life and spirit were just like big boards nailed in multiple layers over windows. And slowly through the years of sobriety, I took a few doors down, but then I still had the dark curtains Then eventually, I kind of moved the dark curtains away. Then I still had the wispy drapes you can't quite see through. You know, I mean, it really has been a process.
1: Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. ladies and gents, boys and girls. That was the voice of June G that you heard at the beginning of this here episode. And you are going to hear so much more from her in just a moment on episode 183 of Sober Speak. But first things first, this episode is sponsored by David and Starlin and Rachel do you know what David and Starlin and Rachel did? Well, let me fill you in. They went to our website, Soberspeak.com. They clicked on the PayPal tab and they made a, a contribution. Thank you so much, David and Starlin and Rachel. This episode is coming right out to you. I, John M., Just another bozo on the bus will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings. And I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table and let's get cranked up. No matter what your past looks like, you are welcome here. It is an open table for all. And we are glad that you are here just in case you happen to be in the north texas area we have uh, started a, a new uh, aa meeting it's an open aa meeting which means anyone can attend all are uh, all are welcome and uh, it's called the frisco fourth dimension group for more information on that check out sober resu- the sober resources tab at soberspeak.com. Once again, go to soberspeak.com and check out the sober resources tab. Now, on to Miss June G. I waited so long to get June G on here, and I'm glad she finally agreed to come on and visit with me. June, has been sober. And by the way, I want to thank my friend. Oh, I think we talk about this during the episode itself, but my friend Lee Y actually referred me over to June G and I'm so grateful that he did. June has been sober since July 13th of 1972. Yes, 1972's folks. That is 48 years in Alcoholics Anonymous. June actually got sober. When she was 13 years old, but before you say, Hey, wait a sec, 13 years old. Can one really go off the rails enough at 13 to be qualified for a, for AA would we'll just listen on in. Uh, you will be very surprised. Um, she had many visits with Mr. Chuck C., Chuck Chamberlain. She talks about that. It was a, a absolutely interesting, a wonderful experience. And then we talk about the progression of alcoholism from her perspective. And I know you're going to enjoy this episode. So everybody, please buckle up, enjoy the ride, and we will have plenty Oh listener feedback at the end of June's episode. Enjoy June. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with the one and only Miss June G. And you're, well, in fact, June, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people what area of the country you live in. My name is June. I'm an
0: alcoholic. My sobriety date is the 13th of July, 1972, and I live in Southern California.
1: 1972. So help me there with the math. How many years is that, June?
0: I celebrated it 48 years last year, so i got 48 and a half right now.
1: <laughs> wow. Absolutely fantastic. God bless you. Uh, so when you go to those uh, conferences and they do like the you know, the sobriety countdown or whatever, do you win those uh, on an occasion? I'm
0: I'm starting to win a few of those. It's a pretty weird experience, actually. (laughs) Never, never thought that I would be that one.
1: (laughs) And I do want to tell folks how we ran across each other. Uh, Mr. Lee Y uh, is a common friend of ours. And uh, Lee Y had, well, it's a little bit more than he just said, hey, you ought to have June G on the podcast. Lee, during the episode that I was recording with him, Talked about his days and his time in prison, and about how he had gotten hold of a couple of, or, or I, I don't know exactly how many, but one of the tapes that he got a hold of when he was. Um, in prison, cassette tapes, I'm sure they were back then, was the June G tape. And he said that that got him through so many nights. Have you all ever had a chance to talk about that?
0: We have. I I didn't know that. I knew Lee for a long time, but I didn't really know that. I just actually heard him share that maybe about five years ago um, at a conference.
1: Yeah. Isn't that wild, though, to think of that? I mean, yeah. you know, you're you're sharing your story, you're opening a podium, somebody recorded it, he got a hold of it in a prison, and somehow, some way, you were impacting his life, uh, and that's how this thing works. I mean, it's just absolutely- And then he's incredible.
0: gone on to help so many people with all of his service. It's, Correct. It's unbelievable, so- Yeah,
1: yeah as amazing. you know, he does, he not only- um, Uh, goes out and gives his talk as well on a consistent basis, but he does all the taping and the recording and he gets it out to other people. And uh, that's just absolutely fantastic. So, um, all right. So we got time before Alcoholics Anonymous to cover, and then we have 48 years. So we're going to do the best we can within that time. So, so you do live in Southern California and how long have you lived out there in Southern California?
0: pretty much all my life.
1: Okay. I like it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's go back to the beginning. Uh, were you born out there?
0: Actually, no. I was born in Canada. And uh, then I was brought here when I was less than two years old um, and pretty much lived my whole life within about 10 miles um, before sobriety, in sobriety, until about three years ago. And now I moved 60 miles away, which is like Kansas compared to uh, that 10-mile little loop that I was in.
1: Uh, what I thought about when you were talking about that is there's a uh, bumper sticker in Texas, at least, because uh, I, was, I wasn't I was born in Texas, but I got here when I was like uh, I don't know, five years old, I think is what it was. And uh, the bumper sticker says, uh, I wasn't born in Texas, but I got here as quick as I could. <laughs> You know, us Texans are kind of uh, proud about where we live. So do they have that bumper sticker out in California? I wasn't born in California, but I got here as quick no, as I, I could. I haven't seen that one. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of transplants there. So maybe maybe y'all can start that out there. All right, Jude. So let's go back into your uh, history. Uh, so you're there two years old. Uh, you, you know, you start where you want in terms of your uh, upbringing, where you were, you know, what formed you? What were the uh, significant um, um, milestones in your life?
0: Well, I was I was raised by an alcoholic. Um, my mom was a person who was going to be in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous for over 40 years, trying to get sober at And having some sobriety at different times. Uh, She is continually sober today, by the way, 16 years.
1: Wow. 16 Um, years. So... Now. And you're 48 years. So... Uh, obviously, she saw you going in and out of Alcoholics, or, or you saw her going in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous during that time, and she yeah. saw you being sober. What were those years like? I know I'm probably getting a little ahead of ahead of the game, but that's how I do it sometimes.
0: That's right. Well, I mean, I think it was a very difficult experience for my mother. Um, my mother was not happy that I came to AA at first. She felt, I think, that that meant uh, that she was a bad mom, and she didn't want me to be there. And part of that had to do with the fact that she was very well-known in AA. AA was much smaller. You know, in the 60s, obviously, the membership was much smaller, and my mom was very well-known for going in and out. So, it was very painful for her. So, when I first came to meetings, uh, the, the people who knew her would call me her daughter, and then as my mom kept drinking and coming back, she became my mother. Yeah. June's mother is here. And I don't think, she, I think it was very painful, very hard. Yeah. But she now knows, you know, and she takes complete credit, which she should, uh, for the fact that I got to Alcoholics Anonymous when I did. I just was lucky enough to stay.
1: She's sober, 16 years. Huh? Very interesting. Is she, how do I put this? You know, you have a... Uh, a, a gift, if you will, and that gift is is that you are able to articulate your story, and you do it in a very uh, very interesting fashion. I've heard it before, and I think it's fantastic. Do, does she go out and give those talks or anything like that, or is she a little bit more in the the background?
0: You know, she she does not she doesn't uh, doesn't really give give talks. Um, I don't think that my mom has ever had the same experience in Alcoholics Anonymous that
1: I have had that you did. Gotcha. All right. So let's go yeah. back to the beginning again. I got you a little bit forward. So you were, so you're raised by an alcoholic. Uh, you're, you're there in California from two or three years old. Take me forward from that point.
0: So my mom left my dad uh, when I was two and came to California. We thought she thought briefly, um, but she ended up staying. And I was then illegally in the country, and so was she, because we were supposed to go back on that, you know, I guess that plane ticket. But her family had come out here, so she stayed. Um, And my father was also an alcoholic, and there was a lot of violence in her life and in their life. Um, So I stayed in California. My mother was a bar drinker. My mom was very violent. Um, She wasn't violent necessarily with me, but she was in a lot of incredibly violent horrific altercations so there were there were guns there were knives there were pool cues through people's heads you know it was just a really there was a lot of violence and a lot of bad things happening in our life
1: was um, that was that happening inside the house or in bar rooms or a combination of both
0: kind of a combination she drank mostly in bars but you know people came home sometimes you know then um, i started being put in foster homes and uh, the rest of my family would try to find me and rescue me and bring me back. I had a wonderful grandmother, but my grandmother passed away when I was nine. And uh, she was sort of like my rescuer. And uh, obviously, when she passed away, there wasn't um, a regular rescuer. My aunt, aunt tried to take over. That was my mom's youngest sister. And she was amazing in my life, many times as she could find me or get in there. Um, and I just became, you know, angrier and angrier. I I started to drink on a regular basis at eight years old. I'd already been using other substances uh, before that. And I had been actively trying to kill myself from the time that I was five years old. I just really didn't want to be here. I did not believe that life was ever going to get better.
1: Can you hold hold on just a second? You said actively trying to kill yourself from the time that you're five years old. Can you... Dive into that a little bit because that, you know.
0: You know, I, I began to cut my wrists with razor blades. Um, I took overdoses of baby aspirin, which was all I, I knew about at the time. Um, I actually, a lot of times, I'd be sitting in someone's car while my mom was in a bar and I would burn my body with the cigarette lighter over and over while I sat there. I'd beat my body with a hammer. In my opinion, I'm no psychologist. I don't have any degree of any kind like that. But I I think that sometimes the emotional pain that I was in was so bad that I needed to do something physical to take my mind off of how much pain I was in. That's just my own theory.
1: Wow. Uh, I mean, I'm a little uh, caught off guard there. That is actually, I'm just trying to you know, I don't know if you have nephews or nieces or, you know, kids that you're close to, but I have kids and, you know, uh, uh, to think about them doing something like that, right, which just kind of blow your mind. And you were actively participating in all that in as young as five years old at just it just breaks my heart. I, I I think there's a happy ending coming up here, you know. But but that is just absolutely incredible. Have you met other people that were um, engaged in that type of behavior at this at that young of age? have you you know, you've spoken in a lot of places. I'm sure people have talked to you about that.
0: Um, they they have. I thankfully not that many people experienced that at at that age, like you said. Um, And I do have kids and I would watch them. And that's really kind of when I started to, I guess, you know, we talk about an AI about more will be revealed. That's when I really saw just how really sad it really was, you know, um, because most kids at five are kind of trying to build a sandcastle or play on the swings, you know. And, um, and I didn't, I didn't have that. I was, I was always worried. I was always taking care of my mother. I knew the phone number to every bar, every hospital, and the police stations. And I was calling, you know, regularly um, to find her, you know, because I I had to take care of her. And I used to go get her jobs. I would go to restaurants and I'd ask them to I just while she was passed out and I'd go ask them to hire my mom, you know, because we kept getting evicted or wasn't, I don't know if it was an official eviction. We lived in hotels and We'd come back and then there'd be that lock on the door and you never see your stuff ever again.
1: And um, so where's your father? You mentioned he was an alcoholic. Uh, it sounds like you and your mom or, you know, or at least have a, are, you know, you're, you're trying to make it together. Where's the dad?
0: He actually, from what I understand from talking to his, a woman who says she's his best friend was his best friend. He died. He died. He drank himself to death alone in a hotel room before he was 50. I never met him. Um, I talked to him on the phone once, but I didn't have any, uh, any relationship with my dad. And I'm an only child. So, you know, I ended up being very fortunate because I had a lot of wonderful foster homes. Most people think, oh, my God, she went to foster homes. And those were actually respites, you know, of peace from the insanity of my life. Although I brought insanity to those poor families, you know, as I came in because they didn't know what to do with me.
1: Okay, here's the the weird part. And I've had people talk to me when they, they've heard my past before and go, this is just not adding up, right? Because you're sitting here, you know, I'm looking at you, you're you're very composed you're such a nice lady you have a wonderful spirit and to imagine you in that position during that time is just a little unfathomable and i guess my guess is you would probably say well that's uh, some sort of credit of, of alcoholics anonymous what i mean i don't want to put words in your mouth i mean how how do you explain that from going where you were to where you are today
0: I think, you know, we talk about having a spiritual awakening. My spirit was almost dead when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, and it actually was very, very dim even in my early years of sobriety. Um, I kind of think sometimes it's like by the time I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, my whole life and spirit were just like big boards nailed in multiple layers over windows, And slowly through the years of sobriety, I took a few doors down, but then I still had the dark curtains. Then eventually I kind of moved the dark curtains away. Then I still had the wispy drapes you can't quite see through. You know, I mean, it really has been a process. Um, Chuck sees to talk about, you know, the onion and these layers. So for me, it was like boards and then more boards and then heavy drapes and then light drapes. And finally got a little bit of sunlight and then things would happen and I'd close my drapes again, you know. So it's really been a, a very long process um, with more good things that happened than I recognized, but it took a long time to recognize them.
1: So, before we started this um, session, uh, I noticed that you were talking to your husband. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm, I'm getting way ahead now, but so talk to me about um, getting married. And coming out of the situation that you came in and what sort of baggage you may or may not have brought to that. I'm just curious, as you know, with the dynamics of an intimate relationship after being raised like that.
0: Well, um, I was married before um, and I got divorced about 15 years ago. So this is the second uh, marriage. It's also the second, uh, it's his second as well. He is in the program. Uh, my first husband was not. I don't think that that is, the, uh, you know, the only factor that's important, of course. I think there's, you know, advantages to either. Um, again, it, it was a, it has been a very slow process, the healing um, for me um, of trusting men and trusting relationships. Um, and, you know years ago, I think about 15 years ago before I'd met him, I was talking to my sponsor and he said, you're getting much more vulnerable he goes, Oh, he goes, that sounds really good. You're getting more vulnerable. And I thought I would not, even at that time at 35 years sober, I don't usually think of putting good and vulnerable in the same sentence. You know? <laughs> um, I was very protective for a long, long time in sobriety, you know, of my emotions. Um, and I do, you know, I credit the men in Alcoholics Anonymous, not just them, but many of the people that I know that married people after they've been sober with, you know, really showing me that there are incredibly honorable, decent, kind, loving men. Um, There are also, of course, jerks and, you know, in and out of AA, just as there are everywhere else. Um, But it it took a long time also, you know, everything took a long time (laughs) and I'm in a hurry. Right.
1: You mentioned Chuck C. there. Did, did, I, I think I heard you talk about one time where you, you actually met Chuck C., right? And and by the way, for those who may not know who Chuck C. is, Chuck Chamberlain, he's not with us anymore. Uh, he wrote, well, he didn't write a book. He gave a series of talks, I think, uh, called A New Pair of Glasses, uh, somewhere there in Southern California, if I'm not mistaken. And Someone took those transcripts from that and actually put them into a book form. And it's called A New Pair of Glasses. And it's uh, both the the tapes and the book are absolutely fantastic. But anyway, so that's who Chuck C is. Uh, he's kind of uh, as famous as you can be in an anonymous organization. He is uh, He's famous within uh, our ranks. And so did you meet him at one time? Is that right?
0: I did. I met him several times. Um you know I feel very fortunate I mean having gotten sober 48 years ago I got to meet a number of the first generation members of alcoholics anonymous I consider those people that were sober in the first 25 years of alcoholics anonymous existing and of course most of them we have have passed away by now not all but most um but I, when I got sober many of them were still here and uh, and he was one of them and I was really a problem in so many different ways. And I got sent to him by my sponsor who was pulling her hair out, trying to decide what to do with me next. And that's what we would do back then in Southern California. Anyway, if you were really a problem, we would send you to Chuck C to see if he could help.
1: <laughs> so you qualified, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's kind of good news, bad news. You get to meet yeah. Chuck C, but you're qualified to go out there. <laughs> <laughs> and so, well, tell me about those visits. Would you meet him at his in his house? And I, I hear he lived in Laguna Hills, uh, or yeah, would you meet and see him in a meeting?
0: He lived in. I saw him in lots of meetings because he. We have a lot of speaker meetings in Southern California. In in my travels in the United States, well, and in a few other countries, I have not found very many places that have as many speaker meetings as we do. Most places don't have as many meetings. Like right now, we have over three thousand meetings a week in Los Angeles, but Los Angeles is huge. But I would say about a thousand of those meetings every week might be speaker meetings. So there weren't as many back then. There were seven hundred and fifty when I got sober. But I heard Chuck see probably once a month, maybe more. Um, in those many early years before he passed away. Um, And when I got sober, I had a lot of problems. I didn't have an education. I didn't have a job. My mother wasn't sober. I was illegally in the country. I had a few other kind of legal things um, going on. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any place to live. And I still thought about killing myself on a regular basis because I just didn't think AA might work.
1: And and how old was this again, approximately?
0: when I got sober, I was 13 years old. Wow. But I felt 2000. So (laughs) I feel so much better today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you actually did get sober at 13 then? I did. Wow. So so that's when well and you you all don't know this, but June and I were talking before we started here. And you know, I said I was kind of interested in the before and after. She said, well, you know, the the before is uh, fairly short, but I have heard you articulate it before. And so I was definitely interested in you going into all that. But okay, so so you guys said we're 13. All right. So I'm sorry, move ahead then.
0: So with all of these problems and with this, you know, my hold card, I I really believed they really were able to convince me. And I think also watching the progression of alcoholism in my mother firsthand to see that this disease gets worse, even after periods of sobriety in the way that old timers tell us that I might not have believed, but having seen it firsthand, I, I really believed that I could not continue to drink without it getting worse. And it was really bad, or I wouldn't have come to AA. It was already so bad. But honestly, if they could have promised me that if I drank, I would die, I would have gone right back to drinking. I Mm. just wanted to die, but I couldn't die. I really tried to die. And so, I really believed the old timers when they told me it was going to get worse, and it was going to go on for another 10 years, or 20, or 30, or 40 And I just couldn't even stand it. I couldn't have stood it another day or I wouldn't have come to AA when I did. So I stayed in AA, but I would think if this doesn't work for me, I'm going to have to kill myself. But I can't ever drink or take anything. You know, I really accepted that. Um, But I was very broken. I was very damaged. I was filled with self pity. I was self centered. Um, I was angry. You know, um, so I had all of these, you know, emotions going on and I had a lot of real you know, problems just as most of us do when we get sober. And, uh, and so they would, they'd send me to Chuck and I didn't have a car and Chuck lived an hour away. And when you went to see Chuck, he would sit in his chair and he would be looking out at the ocean and you would sit there and Chuck would talk literally. I wish I was exaggerating. He would talk for two or three hours, (laughs) not, not even taking a break and none of it was relevant. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like he was speaking Latin. (laughs) He was just talking about all these wonderful spiritual ideas and these spiritual principles. And, you know, the student, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. (laughs) I'm just like, I just want to pay my rent. You know, I mean, what about money? You know, (laughs) being (laughs) deported. You know, like, oh, you know, you already have everything you're ever going to need. Right. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> it wasn't funny then, I'll tell you, John. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, that's hilarious. All right, let me take a little break here. We'll be continuing our conversation with June G in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. You can also find the Donate button on our website. You can use if and only if the Spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, institution, organization or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right. So I want to go back a little bit to that piece about where you said the progression of alcoholism and what you had witnessed with your mother growing up. Uh can, can are you able to kind of pull out any examples of, of what you saw during that time that would indicate to you that the progression of alcoholism was going to mm, uh, it, it gets worse never better I'll put it that way
0: so I I mentioned that you know I grew up with a lot of violence most of the violence that I saw was directed at my mother um, by men but um I saw, of course, I saw men getting beaten up by men or, you know, whatever. But anyway, my mom, when my mom was sober once, she was either sober for one year or two years. This is before I got sober. Um, And I know she'd been sober for a while because, as I have said before, the gas, the phone, and the lights were all on. Mm -hmm. And that never happened unless my mother had been sober for a while. And my mom came home one night. And I still remember what she was wearing. My mom's French Canadian; she has a lovely French accent, and she really liked to dress up. And she was in a beautiful dress—I mean, almost like a gown, but not full length. And she put that dot on her cheek that the movie stars were a little bit hot before her time, but you know that. And she was, like I said, just dressed very elegantly. This was a little bit different because my mom, as I said, drank in very violent bars in Venice Beach, which is not where you would dress like this. So she came home and she said, I went to a party tonight in Beverly Hills. And I said, oh, and she said, and I drank brandy. And I said, mom, I thought you said when you go to AA, you don't drink anymore. And she said, this was brandy. And I don't even know what brandy was, really. I mean, I was drinking, but I I never did drink brandy. So it wasn't something (laughs) available in my, uh, you know, whatever. But anyway, and so um, I, you know, I went to bed. She went to bed. I went to school the next morning. And when I came back to the apartment, there were many people. It seems to me there were 10 or 12 people. They They were all passed out all over. There were all kinds of bottles all over that table. Um, There were all kinds of cigarette butts all over the table. There were some drugs all over the table. And when my mom came to, she introduced me to her new boyfriend. Spielberg about alcoholism and that you'd that's ridiculous. You're just being too dramatic. But I mean, I saw us go back to everything about alcoholism in less than 24 hours. You Mm -hmm. know. Um, So and she like I said, she'd been sober one or two years and things had been better. So it was uh it was it's very quick. I know it, I've had a lot of people that I've known over the years who have drank. Some don't have quite that dramatic immediate progression, but a few I know have. I mean, almost so that you would swear I was making it up. It's so bad, so fast.
1: Wow, just overnight like that. You know, that is absolutely incredible. And so and I want to go back to your to your mom a little bit cuz I I have all these I by the way, I was an only child. I was raised with a mom. She had a lot of mental illness, and I don't want to go into that. This is the June G time, not the John M time. Uh, but but I, I I'm curious about um, what sort of conversations you had with her uh, after getting sober, and and what if any sort of reconciliation has happened in the meantime? Can you dive into that a little bit?
0: So, it, that took a long time, <laughs> um, but when, and my mom was in and out, as, you know, as you've calculated over these years, so many, many times during the years that I stayed sober, um, a couple of things happened. One was I became very close friends with a woman who was pretty close to my mother's age. We got sober, her name's Patty Hicks, and we got sober 11 days apart. But I had 11 days more, which you never let somebody forget that sort
1: of thing. <laughs> That's right.
0: But Patty had a daughter, and she was somewhat disconnected with her daughter because of her alcoholism. And Patty and I did a lot of stuff together, you know, in these first six or seven years of my sobriety. And I, I truly believe that she helped me have a different compassion for my mother and her alcoholism that I would not have gotten without, you know, that friendship, or maybe I would have eventually. But I, and I think I helped her heal a little bit with the pain of being disconnected from her daughter. So, when I was seven years sober, I had my mother give me a cake at a meeting, which was the meeting that she had, you know, first gone to when she had first come to AA, and it was my home group for many years. Yeah, so it's my seven-year AA birthday. and. I really, really got that if it had not been for the horror and the horrible experiences of first my mother's alcoholism, in addition to my own, I would not have come to Alcoholics Anonymous at 13. I wouldn't have known that it existed. So my mother's horrible experiences contributed to the fact that I found Alcoholics Anonymous when I did because she had found it first. And so I really felt, you know, compassion and a thank you to my mother for helping me get sober. Um, And through the years, especially when I had kids, I really began to see, as you mentioned, my mom also suffers from mental health issues. I don't know whether those came about because of the many times she got passed, she got punched out and, and lost consciousness, if that affected her brain, or if it was the alcohol as well. Or if it was, you know, I don't know, the chicken and the egg, you know, but I know these things. I know my mom was a single parent uh, because my my father and her never got married. And my mom's raised Catholic. And so it was a huge shame and disgrace. And she left home because she was so embarrassed. She didn't want to bring shame to her family. So when she had a child, it was shameful and had to be hidden and when I had a kid, because I was sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, it was a joyful opportunity and something that everybody was celebrating with me. And my mom was poor. By the time I had had a kid, I'd been sober quite a while and I had a job. Um, and at that time, I was married and I could support my child. And I, you know, it was so, it was so really just, you know, over the years, just I have a lot more compassion. My mom still suffers from a lot of mental health issues, she suffers from terrible depressions. It's very sad. It's very hard. Um, I try and show up and I try and take care of my side of the street. But it is not the magical relationship that some people share about having in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous.
1: Yeah, I like yeah, that. Um, that's real life. Uh, it's, it's like when people come in and we tell them, you know, they Maybe they want to get back with their wife or their husband and, you know, be happily ever after. Say, I don't know. It may work. It may not. By the way, when you told me that you've been married only two times during this 48 years in Alcoholics Anonymous, for me, I was thinking that has got to be a record. <laughs> you you were on a winning streak right there, Ms. June G. <laughs> All right. So here's what's happening. Uh, you, I, We haven't even gotten up to your first meeting yet in Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's that's my fault because I just I, I ask a lot of questions. So if you're okay with it, Junji, what I'd like to do is schedule you some time to to come back and and finish out your story uh, at another time, and because because I know there's a lot more there to dig into. Would you be comfortable doing that? All right, Junji. Well, listen, thank you so much. I know the listeners are going to enjoy this. Uh, God bless you. And we'll get back together soon and uh, get the rest of this uh, out there for everybody to listen to. Okay. God bless. Oh, I forgot one thing. I always ended up with page 164 of the big book. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, June, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you, June G. June G. Junji, I just like saying that for whatever reason. It sounds like actually one name, Junji. What is that movie called? Jumanji or something like that? But nonetheless, I completely digress. Thank you so much, Junji, for coming in here and sharing some time with me and the Sober Speak audience. For those of you listening in, we will be continuing Junji G, June G, next week. So you're going to get part two of Junji. We're going to get the follow-up to Junji next week. So make sure you tune in. Now, remember, we do not want you sharing your gossip, but if this episode had a positive impact on you, please pause your device and share it with a friend and or family member. It may be just what they need today. Now, on to a little bit of a listener feedback. Jamie writes in, and Jamie's subject line was love from Florida. Well, love back at you, Mister Ms. Ms. Jamie. She says, hey, John, I am sober since September 8th, 2020. I am an Al-Anon as well. I am so inspired by listening to every speaker. You are truly doing God's work. Thank you from the bottom of my heart and soul. Oh, Jamie, thank you so much. That was very sweet. And love back at you in Florida. Victoria writes in and she says, hi, John, I would like to be part of the private Facebook group. How can I join? Oh, and just as a reminder, nowadays, what you can do is you search for the secret Facebook group and you can request via Facebook. Um, That's how it's working nowadays until Facebook changes up on me again. But that seems to be working this far. She says, I love listening to her podcast, and I'm thinking of joining the AA group nearby in Kiel, Germany, K-I-E-L, Germany. But my heart, isn't Kiel like a, uh, like a lotion or something? I think I've seen my wife come home with that here, Kiel lotion, something like that. Anyway, but my heart wants to be part of the English-speaking groups because of my mom came from Scotland. Scotland. and a part of me can relate very well to all you guys greeting from greetings from Newth, North Germany Victoria Well Victoria? My mum also, was from Scotland. She grew up in Glasgow. And uh, maybe that is why you are listening to this right now. Maybe you have been drawn in by the vibes you get coming through me about our our uh, respective mums. But nonetheless, uh, you know there's all kinds of Zoom meetings, as you know, and you can be part of the English speaking groups. Uh, and if you're ever here in this area, please let us know. It will get you hooked up with some good meetings. But thank you for writing in from Germany, Victoria. Deb writes in. She says, hello, John. First of all, I want to tell you how much I appreciate your podcast. It's been a real lifesaver for me and I'm sure for many others. So thank you for what you do. We are very we are truly grateful. Well, I'm truly grateful for you, Deb. She says, "I'm approaching twelve weeks of sobriety in a few days—longest ever in my adult life. I'm almost fifty years old now. Like many, it started with me binge drinking, then daily drinking, then drinking to blackouts, then to misery of it all. Uh, then the misery of it all. I found myself in my first meeting in 2018 when a couple times, then went out to do some more research." am I a real alcoholic, question mark? Well, turns out I am. And after a couple of years of hovering around the rooms of AA, I've stuck it out for almost three months now. Well, good for you, Deb. But I am having a problem. I hear on your podcast primarily how important it is to have a sponsor. And the fellowship of AA is this program. However, I live in a small town where there is only one meeting a week, and sometimes it's just me and the person cheering. So you see how thankful I am to be able to hear the perspectives and sharing of your speakers. Is... If there is any good to come out of this pandemic, it's the ability to quote zoom in a meeting. But here too, I have mixed experiences. Sometimes I feel like it's an opportunity for people to unload all of their heartache. As a result, I come out feeling worse. I listened to Matthew M's two episodes ago recently when he says something like, "In your in your first year, you feel quote uncomfortable in your own skin unquote." Well, that's me right now. Being sober feels so much harder than just being drunk, but I know that's messed up thinking. And so when it's hard, I read the big book and pray for another 24. For this to be sustainable though, I feel like I need to seek additional support. Just not sure that this is or where to get it. So I need to pray some more. Sometimes it feels like I'm hanging on by strings, and trust that God is my lifeline, and so I'm still hanging on and listening. Thanks for all you do, Deb in Alberta, Canada. Well, Deb in Alberta, Canada, don't want to give advice. I'm trying to think of experience. When experience tells me that when I'm open and I am seeking the Spirit Um, and seeking the God of my understanding, that paths will open up. And it sounds like you're doing just that. And uh, I know there are plenty, plenty of people listening out there that live in small towns and they're doing just fine. So God bless you and God bless you for hanging in there. And congratulations on your 12 weeks. And please keep me posted. Kristen writes in. She says, Hi, John. I just love your podcast. It's helping me so much during this pandemic. I'm also on Zoom every day at meetings. I am from Oakland, California, and now living in Buenos Aires, Argentina. I will have 40 years sober on June 9th of 2021. Well, we're getting a little ahead of the game, but congratulations on your 40 years there. Uh, Miss Kristen, she says, I'm not a very good speaker like the ones you've like you, the ones you've had on your podcast. When I visit California in the summer, I will send you a little money. Oh, don't. I, I, I shouldn't have even read that. Anyway, I don't want to go back. And, <laughs> she, anyway, uh, She says, I like Matthew M. the best. Of course, Bill C. has a lot to say as well. Just finished, Carl, and I laugh so much. You are doing a great job, and thank you for your service. So I just want to say this, and, and I've said this on many episodes before. If Ewans have the choice between supporting me and Supporting your local groups, please contribute to your local groups. That is where the rubber hits the road and the real work is being done. Um, but uh, anyway, Kristen, thank you so much for writing in out there in Argentina. Tell the folks in Buenos Aires, Argentina, that we said hello or hola. Do they say Ola in Argentina as well? I I don't know. Yeah, I know that's Spanish, but I I really have no idea. I'm so sorry. Starlin writes in, and Starlin says, John M., I really enjoy the podcast, and it seems like after listening to them, it is like I know you. (laughs) Well, hello, Starlin. I am a native Californian, but consider myself a Nevadan. My wife of 32 years and I currently live in Northern California in the small city of Brentwood where my group is located for now. We lived in Reno, Nevada for 25 years and in 2011 moved to California because of the recession and a better job opportunity. I am retiring next February and we are having a house built in Reno right now so we will move back for good next year. I love the AA in Reno and that is where I got sober. My last drink of alcohol was actually in San Antonio, Texas on January 25th of 2002. I happened to be at a conference for my work and I met my Waterloo at the Alamo. (laughs) laugh out loud. Unfortunately, I relapsed on other substances in 2016. And my new date is August 28th of 2017. I love AA and I'm not crazy and not crazy about NA. For me, being sober is without any chemicals that affects me from the neck up. My family story is like from the grapes of wrath. My grandmother, my grandmother's father, great grandpa, was born in Sulphur Springs, Texas. That's where Gary Kay from our um, uh, from our podcast, who's been on here many times, lives. But nonetheless, and my dad's paternal father, Wilson J. was also born somewhere in Texas. Everyone always asks me, "Where did I get the name Starlin?" Well. I was named after my step-grandfather, Starlin Hatfield, and he says, and yes, he was related to those in that feud who raised my dad with my grandma, of course. He was born in Crowder, Oklahoma, and his aunt Artie named him back in 1916. I love that man dearly, even though we were not blood related. My grandmother was born in McAllister, Oklahoma. I never actually went to Wilson J's nor my mother's father. I, I never met Wilson J. Nor my mother's father. I started from episode number one with your podcast a couple of weeks ago and actually found Sober Speak. Uh, and it was what we call a god shot. A couple of years ago, I gave my number to a new person. About a month ago, he called me out of the blue. The crazy part is I thought it was a spam call, and I wasn't going to answer, plus block the number. But something told me to answer the call, so I'm glad I did. Turns out to be my now new friend, Joe. He is new, and his sponsor gave him an assignment to call guys on his list, been there before, ha ha, <laughs> I get it, we hit it off, I was also, I was sharing an app that I have listened to all the speakers more than once called AA Speakers, his commutes here in San Francisco Bay Area, oh, he commutes here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he shared what he listens to, sober speak. I was looking for something new, and because I answered my spam call, I found Sober Speak and made a new friend. What, my goodness, the stars are aligning there, Starlin. Hey, I wasn't really even going after that, but I I like that. That's kind of cute. Anyway, um, he and I have been calling one another now for more than 100 days. He is secretary of a meeting in the Discovery Bay, and he asked me to chair the men's meeting, so I did. We hardly have in-person meetings here in California. We have only one other in a park right now because of covid the moral of my story is listen to that calm voice or nagging voice telling me to answer a phone or go to a meeting my other god shots involve meetings that i was not supposed to go to i told myself to take a break that night then i found myself at the meeting and lo and behold somebody asked me to be their sponsor I love AA and the fellowship. I'm grateful to God and Jesus for every day. I am sober. I am grateful to be turning 60 next week and now know that I could easily have been in the ground by now. Thank you for starting Sober Speak. I really like it and enjoy the way you interview people. I work evenings and I have been listening at work in my control room. I am a wastewater wastewater treatment in in, oh excuse me i work in a wastewater treatment plant it makes my short 25 minute commutes seem even shorter may god bless you and your family always startling jay was startling jay thank you and may god bless you and your family as well i really appreciate you writing in my friend god bless you crystal Writes in and Crystal says, Hi, John. I found Sober Speak on a random search on iHeartRadio podcast. That was probably six months ago when I daydreamed about the idea of quitting. The time is right now, this moment. I'm 17 years married with two beautiful daughters, 13 and 15. We live near Wisconsin, the beer state. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of beer up there she says i'm tired i'm feeling low i never drank until about five or six years ago i'm 40 you know and this is a it talks about this in the 12 and 12 how uh people will uh, in fact it refers specifically to women in the 12 and 12 how some women will start drinking in their later years and they are up to speed in no time Anyway, she says we got a pool when our kids were middle schoolers and the late evening beverages helped me chill out and slow down and stay focused on downtime. I quickly I became quickly aware of how much quote nicer and tolerant I was under the influence of alcohol. I've always been an anxious type, busybody. Well, those Saturday night, quote, safe, unquote, experiences slowly turned into Sunday afternoons and then Tuesday nights. And then when the world shut down last March, it was seven nights a week, sometimes alone. A year has melted away. I've had hangovers, horrible days at work from getting three hours of sleep, dry heaving, my face smashed into concrete when my husband was at work from drinking alone, etc. I'm not a mean drunk, but I know this isn't leading anywhere good. You know the spiral, John. My husband grew up in an alcoholic household. I don't want to do this to him or her or our family. I'm a great person. I need change. This isn't who I was supposed to be. Thank you for being there, Crystal. Well, Crystal, God bless you. Um, if we can help in any way, we're here. Reach out when I say we sober speak, but obviously, Alcoholics Anonymous as a whole is there. There are plenty of meetings, there are plenty of folks to go around. The help is there. Um, and it says in AA, in fact, whenever uh, we, I want the hand of AA to be there when anyone reaches out, and uh, folks will be there for you, Miss Crystal. All right, everybody. That's another week we have down the tubes. Well, down the tubes sounds like it was kind of a waste, doesn't it? Uh, that we have completed another week. I will most likely be back next week. As everyone knows, who listens to it on a regular basis. I just take this one week at a time, but keep coming back. It works if you work it. Thank you so much for joining. Love you guys. Bye-bye.